We really think European butter from France is the best butter. And our friend, the expert baker and best-selling cookbook author David Leibovitz agrees. Check out our recent episode with David to find out how he cooks with quality butter. And for recipes, tips, and cooking advice, go to tasteeurope.com. Before I get to the show, I wanted to mention Taste Partnerships. Often I get messaged by listeners of the show about ways to collaborate and work with Taste, and this is Taste, our podcast. Well, the answer is quite simple. You can email us at partner at tastecooking.com to request a media kit and to get in touch with our great partnerships director, Peter Romero. We're working on all sorts of cool ideas right now, and we'd love to hear from you. That's partner at tastecooking.com. Now on to this great episode. I've been joking this year that the farmer's market is just a new mall. Like that's just completely, that's yeah. except when I was a kid in the mall going to like Lids and Sharper yeah. Image, I didn't get to meet the man or woman that started Lids or Sharper Image. I get to actually meet and shake their hand and talk about this particular snack or beverage. How fun. This is Taste. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Ourobora is a sparkling water that pushes the limits of sparkling water. Founded by Paul Vosges, it's a company that prides itself on spiking its cans of waters with herbs, fruits, and flowers for earthly tastes and heavenly feelings. And true to the claim, I certainly had some feelings when I tried their green bean casserole concoction. Maybe not for everyone. But in general, Paul, a guest on today's show, has incredible taste and is bursting with passion for his waters. We talk about his journey and how he comes up with flavors that include chai cranberry, persimmon clove, and peppermint watermelon. If you haven't tried Ourobora, you really don't know what you're missing. I hope you enjoy this 100% not paid for tribute to my favorite water on the market. Paul Vogue, welcome. This is Taste. How are you, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Oh God, this is uh, this is really exciting to have you in. Um, recording at the end of the year, and you know, my colleague Eliza Barbanel wrote a great piece about peak beverage. You're part of this conversation with Ourobora. Um, you are um, in an extremely crowded field with with your product, um, but. Unlike a lot of other products in this extremely crowded field, this is extremely dope shit. Like I love your product. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, man. So I guess the first top, you know, top question is, you know, how do you feel about operating in beverage as a as a guy who's like still in startup mode with Ourobora, but we we see Ourobora at so many stores. We know the brand. We love the water. But how do you feel about working right now in water? Um, man, if I if I had known. Obviously, everyone knows how competitive beverage is, except for me four years ago, because <laughs> um, I just wasn't smart enough to know the difference. Uh, I actually, we're here at, at Penguin, I actually read a couple of books about beverage. One was Seth Goldman's book, and one was Mark Rampola's book yeah. for Honesty and Zico, respectively. Um, and I thought that, you know, both of them did a great job painting a picture of beverage, and the the irony is... It's even more competitive than it was when both of them started those brands. Oh, yeah, definitely. So the barrier to entry has never been lower, which of course I've benefited from. So I guess I'd say I'm feeling good because I feel like we have carved out 
our lane, which is great. Uh, but yes, it continues to be competitive. And I, I think we had our, our best buyer is a guy at Sprouts who said he used to be able to drink all of the sparkling water samples he got in one one fell swoop, one, one day, one tasting, beginning right? to end, yeah. could do all the samples. Now it takes him about six weeks. It's insane that you say about it's six weeks and it would make sense. There's hundreds of products launching. And let me ask you just about the economics before we get to the formulation and what you actually do, because I, I really do love the product. Um, how does it work with with you know shipping costs being so intense? And we've had the Alipop founder here, and we've talked about it a bit. But man, you're like shipping heavy stuff around the country with these es- you know escalating costs. It, it is the opposite of the D 2 C bros you see on Twitter, where they're trying to find the highest value, lowest weight item they can find <laughs> and put it in an envelope and ship it. We found a low value, high weight item, and are just trying to see how much money can we lose on this business. <laughs> um, at least that's how it feels someday. So yes, it is. Uh, it'd be better if you're going to ship something heavy to ship liquor or, or something that someone could spend 50 60 $70. On. Cologne. Yes, not a couple dollars a can. So it is really challenging. Um, it's part of the reason why our business has become more and more retail focused and less and less e-com focused with the exception of the limited time flavors, which is a fun way of yeah. keeping things fresh. Yeah, it's cool. We'll get into that. You do like beverage drops every quarter. You just were up in Massachusetts reformulating or formulating your your latest February drop, which we're, we're sipping on right now. We'll get to that. Great. But on the topic of formulation, let's talk about how you got into this game. You know, I know you're a founder and you've worked in other categories, but how did you get into water and like how did you come up with these with these ideas? Like what's the culinary background of you and your wife, your partner? Yeah. So um the the background is my mom didn't let me drink soda. Um so I was an obnoxious kid drinking sparkling water, as were my four older siblings. Um so we were early on the sparkling water Perrier LaCroix spindrift game. Uh and as an adult I was working at one of those kind of classic tech offices that had the fully loaded pantry, mm-hmm. kettle potato chips, Justin's peanut butter, Jenny's ice cream, and then LaCroix sparkling water. And it felt like, man, I'm, I'm drinking a gallon of this a day and not actually enjoying it. And then I'd come home and make some just with a soda stream and felt like, wow, our, our sparkling water tastes better than this. What's going on? <laughs> so I felt like, okay, what if we can build a similarly distinctive category with differentiated flavors, different ingredients, a different brand? Um and that was the initial idea. So that's how I got into it. The culinary background is my mom is a world-class cook. Wow. Um, so when Dang. she yeah, when she was making sparkling water, she was routinely kind of making our own at-home spindrift or our own at-home Ourobora of, hey, a little bit of basil here, a strawberry there, a squeeze of lemon here. Um, and it was our own personal, you know, carbonated drinks. We you were using like a soda, soda stream? She she would mix it with with uh just plain sparkling water and yeah. then mix it and, you know, we were young kids and didn't know the difference. How fun. Yeah. That's amazing. So you, you grew up with this like kind of a, a culinary background in the kitchen for waters, but you know, this is not the typical thing your mom makes you. I, what- no. And I would say my mom would say, Hey, she just kind of makes her sparkling drink. Um, and, and her probably most common is, is a lime with a little bit of cranberry juice. Um, but I would just say that kind of got me thinking about it. And then as a hardcore sparkling water drinker, drinking 10, 11 cans a day, yeah, you get tired of lime and grapefruit and lemon. So that was the beginning of, okay, what if we did kind of what happened to craft beer? Or I mentioned ice cream earlier. My, my sister has an ice cream parlor in San Diego mm, cool. um, where she was making these really distinctive flavors. And it felt like there's this delightful combination of something you know really well, ice cream, and ingredients you know from other mediums that you've never had in ice cream. And I guess that's just a description of craft flavors in general. Absolutely. We thought, hey, no one's really doing that in sparkling water. No, it's it's interesting. So how do you make the leap from being in this, you know, tech company, drinking on the LaCroix, Pomplemousse, and being like, eh, it's kind of kind of okay, not great, to like actually getting it 
into the marketplace. I, I was extremely lucky. At the time, I was living just outside of Boulder, Colorado, yeah. which is a little like if you wanted to be a stuntman and you happened to live in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. and you thought, man, everyone I ran into is a producer, a director, or an agent. This is awesome. And I didn't know that, but Boulder is this amazing home of natural products. Yeah. So I was making them at home and putting them in just little plastic um, little plastic bottles and having friends taste it. Oh, cool. And thought, okay, I need to eventually get into aluminum cans and actually do a real production run. Found someone in Boulder, knew a guy who could sell me cans, another who could do the production run, another who could help with the food science. Um, mm. And after a course of about six months in 2019, we went from a silly idea in the kitchen that friends liked to, great, we can sell this at a grocery store down the street. Oh, so you actually went and started hand selling to like local indie grocery stores? Correct. Oh, yeah. That was the first two years of the business. Yeah. yeah. Let's um, get into that. I always sure. love that story because... I don't know, listeners, some realize, but some don't, that this is how all CBG companies kind of start. You got to like start, you hit the pavement, right? 100%. Yeah. If you're not willing to sell out of your car or out of a wagon, like it's probably not for you. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what was your sales pitch for Ouroboros? I mean, first, like the name is cool. It says a little bit, but it doesn't say too much, which I like. Um, and then what do you, what is your first product that you're launching to this? What do, What's it like when you're pitching this company in Boulder? Yeah, we had five SKUs. So we had lemongrass, coconut, peppermint, watermelon, lavender, cucumber, strawberry, basil, and cactus rose. So it was mm -hmm. the first five we started with. Three of those have been definite hits. Two of them we won't comment on. But um, I'd go to the grocery store and say, hey, obviously it's a very crowded sparkling water set. You don't have this craft option. We make sparkling water from herbs, fruits, and flowers. We don't use citric acid. Um, we think consumers will, will really embrace the drink. And we're selling one can at a time. So the, the trial period was low. I think the best thing we did was just give them a free case. If yeah. it sells, come buy the next one. If not, no big deal. You didn't lose any money. Yeah. Um, and, and that, of course, is a very expensive way because you give away a lot of free cases, but worth it to get into uh, our first few stores and then use the data from those first few stores to get into the next stores, rinse and repeat. Oh my gosh. So when, yeah. when you drop a case to a store, and what's the name of the first store you went to? What's the first it? store is called Levers Locavore. Okay. So Levers, like, are they telling you within like, you know, two weeks that, oh, we sold through it and, 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 and were they doing like the right pricing? So that one, I got lucky in that it was a store down the street from my house. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I harassed them. I mean, the, the <laughs> yeah. manager and, uh, assistant manager, Sarah and Chris respectively, big thank you to them. Um, for months and months and months, they were trying samples straight out of the soda stream. And I said, Hey, I'll, I'll fill the first shelf. I'll do demos the first day. Cause the grocery store was opening. Yeah. So it was a grand opening of this great oh, natural amazing. specialty yeah. store. Very cool. They so, want cool young brands. Exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. And they, they had this section called hyper local mm -hmm. um, which i don't i've never seen a grocery store do this where it was within five miles oh man um, and it's fun it, yeah it was really fun so i was like hey i'll show you within five blocks i live right there yeah um so the first few stores yes they they let me print the price tag because we had become friends yeah. and i demoed for the first few days and i think we sold a thousand cans in two weeks amazing um, wow which is an insane number that's more we, than a case yeah <laughs> <that's right. laughs> um and that was the beginning and kind of gave me hope of, okay, enough people are responding at the demo table and enough people are actually buying with their wallets that let's, let's do this thing. That's so cool. So, so you're, you're, you're done well in Boulder, but man, you got a ways to go. Correct. How do you make that next leap? How do you actually get into, you know, a national chain? Do you have to work with a distributor? You know, there's a bit of a chicken egg with that. They got to like, you know, you got to be able to fulfill the order. Right. But then, uh, you know, they got to like put up the cash, but sometimes they can't put up the cash. 100%. It's, it's a, I need like a good analogy for this because it's chicken egg, but it'd be chicken egg if there's a third problem too. Agree. Um, yeah. It, it, I stumble with that. Thank you for calling it. Let's, yes. let's workshop this. What is the better I don't analogy? know what a better, it's, it's a, we need a retailer and a distributor right. and we need cash to make the product and we can't 
do any of those out of order. They're, no one's going to give you cash if you don't have yeah. a retailer. Retailer won't say yes unless you have a distributor. Yeah, distributor doesn't want new product that doesn't have a retailer. And a co-packer is not going to take money f- like if you don't have money. Will so, the co-packer stake to find a distributor if you know that they're going to hit? Like, do they have that? Or a co-packer is like just a factory? I've, I have heard of some entrepreneurial co-packers. They'll yeah. take that risk and roll Get the dice. Get equity in the company, all that stuff. Not a ton. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's rare. Um, so I don't know. We'll, we'll find a new analogy by the end of this. But uh, <laughs> yes, it is a total chicken and egg. Yeah. For us, it was, I, I think we were in about 50 stores in the Bay Area. So there was a move from Boulder to San Francisco in there for my wife and uh, co-founder Maddie's job because mm-hmm. I had quit and she was paying our rent. Um, and it felt like San Francisco was a good place to start this beverage company as well. And when we were at 50 stores, I was able to actually go to a local distributor and say, hey, uh, we have enough for okay. us to make it to the truck, mm-hmm. get to know their sales people intimately and sell with them, selling also their other products because I want new stores to buy from this distributor so they can buy my product right. at that distributor. So I sold plenty of cheese and coffee and cold pressed juices, um, just knowing that, hey, <laughs> and you can buy a sparkling water in this one in particular. Amazing, yeah. Um, we got lucky in that there was an early trade show where a Whole Foods buyer was there. And she actually didn't come to our booth. This is Ellie? This is not, not Ellie. No, yeah, this is- Ellie Truzil. She's now a VC, but used to be the big buyer at Whole Foods. Yeah. So this person had the exact same job that Ellie used to have. Yeah, yeah, they were yeah. a forager and her name was Darcy. She did not try the product, but I <laughs> saw her in the gymnasium that this trade show was happening at. And the next day went to their office and said, hey, Darcy was at the trade show. I have some samples for her. <laughs> and I was like very clear not to lie. The person behind the desk said, oh, she asked for you to bring some samples. And I just said, she was at the trade show. I've got the samples for her. Yeah. You know, I don't need the inter sentence that would be a lie. Yeah. And like, yeah. great, just leave it on her desk. And I just hoped that maybe she didn't remember all the people she met. So I sent her a very quick email saying, hey, samples are on your desk. Great to see you at the trade show. Not me. Great to see you yeah. at the trade show. Yeah. She said, so great to meet you. Can't wait to try them. <laughs> and that was that. So that was the first national chain. That was yeah. Whole Foods. Oh, I mean, um, a, not a not a slouch there. Yeah. <laughs> De- decent. So so you didn't lie. I love that about you. And just like back in before you get to the, the rest of the story. I like your hustle, man. Thank you. You like hit me up and like we, you sent me some product and you put your phone number on every can, which I want to get to. But I just I like it. But you're not a you're, you're like I've met you only now. But I, I, I get a sense that you're like a genuinely cool guy. You're not like <laughs> one of these bros who is just in it to like make money. Yeah. I, I don't know. I feel that vibe from Agreed. you. Agreed. If I wanted to make money, uh, man, there was uh, a million better ways to make money. I agree. Okay, yeah. so continue the Whole Foods story, the journey. So that was the first national chain. It was the first region. We're now in a few regions of Whole Foods. Yep, yep. Um, then Sprouts, that opens up another distributor. Yep. Uh, and once you get going with those two natural distributors or with two of the larger mainstream yep. chains that I'm sure have been referred to on the show, uh, and then you kind of tackle market by market, regional chain by regional chain. So All right. That's kind of where we're at. And and you just start, you start do, traveling and doing the tastings. And- Correct. Um, did I see you're in Costco? Uh, yes, we're in Costco, Northern California. I saw that. So you get regional Costco and you're out there, you know, working the tables at Costco. For sure. I'm, I am still hoarse two weeks later. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think in those eight days standing in a store, I probably talked to four or 5,000 people. And that's not an exaggeration. Costco just Six or 7,000 people walk into a Costco every day, which that alone is a stat is like mind boggling yeah. to me. You could stand in a Costco for a week and 40,000 people are in the same room as yeah, you. Yeah. Um, it was insane. And, and and you felt like it paid off and you got to really make these interactions. Did you sign people up for your newsletter? How do you actually like engage with these people at the table? Well, it was mostly sampling. We were trying to figure out this this question that a lot of natural product entrepreneurs have. In fact, I, maybe Becca might have even referred to it yeah. when she was on the podcast. Becca from Fishwife. Yeah, sorry, Becca, Becca Milstein, Milstein yeah. um, who's just the greatest. Um, you have this problem where you know your product works in a Whole Foods or a Sprouts or an Erewhon yeah. or a Zaybars, but 
does it work in Kroger in the middle of the country? Yeah. And no one really knows until they do it. And I can name you a bunch of brands that were really hot Whole Foods brands and totally bombed. Yeah. Bombed. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So for us, the question was, okay, does the Costco consumer want our just more normal flavors, kind of our more base hits, or can we sell them a curveball or two? And it wasn't super clear until we did the sampling to 10,000 people. And now we feel like we know. Okay, was Cactus Rose hidden? You know, Cactus Rose was not hitting with the, with the Costco consumer. I, I hoped that it would. Talk but. about what that is exactly. Because I like the name and but I, and I like the flavor. Okay. I like it. I like the vibe of it. Good. It's uh, it's prickly pear with rose. Yeah. I think outside of California, you, you might not have tried either of those in a beverage. In California, you still might not have tried them. Yeah. Uh, it sells great at Sprouts and at Whole Foods. And we've just found hey, it's, it's a flavor that is polarizing enough and kind of opaque enough that you can't really imagine what it'll taste like. And you kind of need that craveability for a CPG That's the product. word I was just about to use. I think yeah. you crave, and we'll get to like even the green bean casserole, you get these these flavors that you, you crave it. I yeah. mean, you really, really, really crave it. Totally. Yep. All day, I drink our ginger Meyer lemon and lime cardamom flavors. And in my mind, I know exactly, oh, I want that taste right now. Even me, I drink our cactus rose flavor too, yeah. but I had to have it probably a hundred times before I knew what to crave. Yeah. It's such a unique experience. Well, it's why back in like 2016, we were like, Pumplemousse, wow. Yeah. And we, we bought the <laughs> shit out of LaCroix, like right. so much of it. And like, we just like don't want to drink soda and we don't want to drink like, you know, pipe stock or tap water you right. know we don't we we, we love and we love our new york city tap but you know when you're working and you're you're or you're, you're playing and you want something refreshing you want some cool waters okay so let's ask let me ask you about your top three skews like what are the flavors let's get into them a little bit absolutely number one is lavender cucumber yeah 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 um that one people should be familiar with both ingredients could be one reason why it's super popular the other is everyone loves lavender um number two not cucumber though not I must cucumber. say what a, what a what a polarizing flavor i i have been amazed that that's our best flavor. Uh, uh, me when too. we started, I thought that'll be the worst seller by a huge margin. And to be honest, I, it's not my favorite flavor. Um, I think there is a, there are enough lavender stands that it, it sells. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and people are familiar with cucumber in a water, so that sure. was a little more normal. Um, ginger Meyer lemon. Yeah, that's a newer one for us, but definitely our our number two flavor. And then number three is strawberry basil. Strawberry basil is my favorite by far. Great. And it reminds me a little bit of obviously like strawberry kiwi um, yeah. snapple back Great. from the day. Totally. And but but obviously we reformulated for our, our modern tastes and yeah. zero <laughs> calories and not as problematic. And you can sell them in schools. Um, I love the way you formulate. And and let's get into the quarterly drops because I think that's a cool part of what you do because you like to you know stay active you like to like not just rely on the top skews how does that work exactly you were uh, again you were up in Massachusetts at the factory yesterday making your February drop what how do these work so uh, it th we make them quarterly we actually release them monthly believe it or not so we did twelve right. quarters this year you do right that's correct right. so uh, the idea is best case scenario something really works and we can bring it to retail and show a retailer, hey, look how much our consumers loved this. For the most part, we want to make a new flavor, sell out in five to six weeks and just keep consumers really engaged. For me, I know when I was a sparkling water addict, I still am, but of other people's sparkling waters, I felt like, gosh, I'm so tired of the same, same flavors. I would love to try a new flavor all the time. Once a month is about as all the time as a company can do without, you know, falling off the tracks. But uh, for us, that means, hey, every month, if you have a sparkling water connoisseur aficionado <laughs> in your life, it's a great gift for them. Our flavor of the month program, the first Tuesday, they'll get a new box of a new bespoke flavor. The best ones might graduate to retail, but for the most part, they're here one and done. Oh, so fun. 
What's up with the the the, the green bean casserole? Okay, <laughs> I mean, listen, like yeah. not my favorite flavor yep. by far, but cool to try. Great, and definitely if you're thinking about like a aperitivo hour, and you're thinking about like a savory cocktail or drink or NA cocktail, for me, I'm I'm riding with this one. I feel yep. like before dinner, I'm gonna drink that, and I like it. I like a savory beverage NA. I don't drink alcohol, and I like that before me a meal. So thank you for bringing it up. It, it has been very fun. Uh, I'll say last year when we started this Flavor of the Month program, we knew, okay, Q4 is generally a downward trend for beverages. We just, it's it's colder in certain parts of the country and yeah. people are drinking less beverages. We thought, how do we be anti-seasonal? So we came out with a holiday-oriented skew called Chai Cranberry, which you can now find in stores. And we had a Halloween-ish one that had pumpkin in it, honey pumpkin. I thought, what if we tried a Thanksgiving flavor? And... I thought a side dish would be better than making anything gravy or turkey based. Um, so green bean ended up being a fresh green bean taste was really fun. We were about to call it green bean sage, kind of following in line with the naming conventions <laughs> right. of all our other flavors. And at the last minute, Maddie and I felt like, hey, you know, this is already going to be a polarizing flavor because it's green bean. Let's just lean in and make it as clickbaity as possible. Call it green bean casserole. There's no breadcrumbs in there. There's no cheese or mayonnaise, et cetera. <laughs> it's just green bean and sage. But um, it was very fun. Last year, I think it was a few million impressions. Drew Barrymore drink it, drank yeah. it on her show. This year was on the Today Show a couple of times. So it's been, you know, no, we don't sell a ton of units of it. I mean, like you said. you're following the Dr. Brown's model, though. 100%. I mean, Dr. Brown's, everyone knows they do a Thanksgiving and, you know, but that's also a very different product. Sugar One, I there. mean, Jones Soda and or Dr. Jones, Brown. Yeah. Dr. Brown's, yeah. yeah, yeah. Jones Soda has done... A, a turkey and gravy flavor, I don't know, maybe for 20 years. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yes, there was a tried and true path for doing this. I think for us, I'm trying to take people from like disgust to delight as soon as possible. Very cool. Um, I.e. get the product, pass it on the Thanksgiving table. Oh, this is so disgusting. And then hopefully you and your uncle and aunt try it and like it. What I do love, absolutely, absolutely love is Dry Guys. Thank you. Which is an N.A. bottle. It's, a, it's an N.A. martini. You collabed with Grazza. Shouts to those guys. I, you sent me a case. It went in like two weeks. I, I love it. Um, I love that product so much. I'm, I'm a, a, a former uh, martini fan when I was drinking, and I just think this is really fills the gap for me. Brilliant product. Congrats. Thank you. Uh, it was really, really fun. And and making anything with Andrew Bennon is really yeah, fun in yeah. general. He's He's got great energy. I love yes, Andrew. totally does. Yeah, it, it was a uh, totally non-sparkling water for us. And the reception was uh, strong enough that we'll have a few more for you next year. Oh, cool. So Dry Guys, is that just like a subcategory of yeah. Ouroboros? We wanted a, uh, this is a drive that Maddie and I were taking and trying to think of, okay, we hate the word mocktail. Yeah. It sounds just so condescending. Um I, I don't really like saying N.A. cocktail, even though that's what it is, because it just kind of feels like a, a yeah. word jumble. What if we found something that suggested that, of course, there's no alcohol in this, but it's a separate little thing below Ourobora and Dry Guys is what we came up with. Um, yeah, we're, we're quite fond it's of it. It's cool. And and so when you're thinking about a, a martini, how does olive oil play into the mix? Because it was a puzzle. I think obviously people snarked it hard when it dropped because you're like, mm, yeah. <laughs> what's up with that? But that's what you want. You want totally. people to like, before tasting it, but then you taste it, you're like, man, I love this. So it was initially, I have to give credit to Andrew again. He was, we were at Expo East two years ago. Mm -hmm. He had 
a very big launch a few months before that. Um, and, and he came over and said, hey, what if we make a olive oil martini? <laughs> and I just thought, you know, Andrews has so much energy, so many ideas, but yeah. I, I can't give any real credence to this. <laughs> and then a few months later, I thought about it and said the same thing to him and vice versa. Went back and forth for more than a year till realize, you know, let's just do this thing. Let's just try to formulate it. And felt like, okay, olive oil, yeah, people have dirty martinis. They're familiar with an olive and a martini, of yeah. course. Um, and thankfully really, really liked when it, what it started to taste like of, okay, we can actually make a very convincing non-alcoholic olive oil martini that hopefully folks that have given up drinking really enjoy it as much as folks that do drink, but want a couple of days where they're not drinking. No, totally. So dry guys, I mean, that could be even bigger than Ouroboros, I feel. It, it possibilities are endless. I mean, where do you take it? And you just hinted that there's a couple products coming. What can you tell us? Um, I would say similar to this one, we would love for it to be a product that it clearly is has a actual alcoholic product in mind, but is not so close to it such that you, you can't distinguish it. Like, I, I hope you had this experience with the olive oil martini of, no, you know, martini is so much alcohol. It wasn't actually heavy the way a martini is. You can no. drink a few of them. We'd love to do a similar thing where, hey, this is the sort of thing you can have at 5.30, but if you want to have three of them, that's fine too. We're not going to weigh it down with... Uh, kind of heavy alcohol replacements that I think a lot of non-alc companies do yeah. in in an effort to try to make it almost identical to the alcoholic product. We were thinking, hey, it doesn't have to be almost identical, kind of just a, a hint of this, but giving you a similar use experience. You were name. wise in that you took the, you funneled the flavor of vermouth over gin. Right. I felt vermouth right away. Right. And that's like for me, that's the iconic flavor profile of of a martini over the over the gin, or you can do a Vesperons 50-50, yeah. all that right. shit. Great. Yeah, that that was uh I again more more credit to Andrew's due because yeah. he he had so many good ideas in that formulation. Yeah. Well, I'd I'd be here for a GT. I'd be here for any of these like you know, quote Great. unquote NA NA drinks. And please stay in touch with all that stuff. I will. Okay. Paul, let's talk about the year in media. I think you're really plugged into food media. Um it seems like this year there's been a real transfer of energy, maybe slightly away from recipes towards CPG, towards beverage. And it seems like, you know, the the coverage of the quote unquote shoppy shop, shout out to Emily Sundberg, um, has really gotten people interested who maybe haven't thought about products. And I think I want to get your sense of like, you know, we've got Andrea Hernandez at Snackshot, Nate Rosen, you got all these folks, just many more and plus the trades covering what you do. And it seems like consumers, like people we want to focus in here at Taste really interested in hearing about the Ourobora drops as opposed to maybe like recipe content. What do you think? Definitely true. I think some of it is, uh, I'll give credit to media first of one, they've done a great job writing about it. I mean, uh, Andrea has made such a, uh, such a fun item that's in your pantry. Yeah. It's like so unique. Imagine if I was telling you, hey, this movie that's coming out, <laughs> it's in your home. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh. That's, Completely. I'm intimately part of the story. I've bought that before. Or you can go buy it anywhere. 100%. Buy, buy it online. Any store you'd like. Um, so that's the first piece. The second is the retailers. Retailers have done such a good job in the last few years of not just introducing new products to consumers. Of course, that's the retailer's livelihood depends on, hey, we sell 90% of the same products and we take 10% and give new products every year. And we need people to pick up a few of those new products. I think what they've done even better in the last few years, and I can name retailers too that have done an exceptional job of this, is not just give the entrepreneur space on the shelf, but kind of space in their own owned media. Maybe they have a newsletter. Maybe they have 
Whole Foods does such, such a great job with people's faces in the aisle of, hey, made in New Jersey, made in New York, made in Pennsylvania, it's local. And consumers care so much about that. I've, yeah. I've been joking this year that the farmer's market is just the new mall. Like that's just completely, that's totally the what new a mall. Good, what a good call. Yeah. Except when I was a kid in the mall going to like Lids and Sharper yeah. Image, I didn't get to meet the man or woman that started Lids or Sharper Image. I get to actually meet and shake their hand and talk about this particular snack or beverage. How fun. How fun. And you can also pick it up for like three ninety nine. Exactly. It's right. not like a crutch filled, like, you know, eight thousand dollar stereo system um i was just in phoenix this weekend and i got to go to monsoon market i think it's a great example of the way they merchandise the way they have all the the founder profiles and it's like a major credit to the indie retailers that are doing the work to you know help promote you guys 100 love monsoon market um, i could name probably a few of those in every town that have done an awesome job maybe none as well as yeah. monsoon market but yeah they've, they've done a great job of making consumers who might not have read the snack shot yeah. care even just wandering into a store completely and I think it's just starting. I think we're really just at the start of of like products as content. And I think someone smart is going to write a great piece about it. Maybe it's Emily. Maybe it's somebody else about we're at this wave of uh, of kind of changing our energies. Totally. Okay, let's talk about formulation and like the way you R&D. How do you actually come up with your next SKUs and your quarterly drops or your monthly drops it is? I mean, I want to get a sense of are you, are you seeking out flavor profiles through restaurants? Are you cooking at home a lot? Um, is it your friends and family making requests? So it it started, I'll go way back to the beginning because we've gotten smarter and smarter at it. Way back at the beginning, I was just selfish and I thought, what do I want in a sparkling water? And I hoped that others would too. Turns out I want lemongrass coconut in a sparkling water. Cool. Others don't. Um, that's what the sales data shows. So we thought, okay, we have to get a little bit smarter. Can we use similar ingredients you've seen in other category players just it's way easier to convert someone to something they kind of know. Almost like if you're building a cult, you need to you need to start with something you're familiar with. Of oh, you like hiking? Our cult likes hiking as well. It's Trojan horse, baby. Yeah, <laughs> we just hike and you know worship goats, etc. So for us, it felt like okay, you drink sparkling water. I drink sparkling water. You drink lemon sparkling water. We actually have a Meyer lemon. And we've added ginger to it. And it's just close enough mm -hmm. that it ends up being, one, hopefully a fresh new formulation you haven't tried, but also close enough to something you're familiar with that you don't have to go way out on a limb mm -hmm. the way you might have to with, say, lemongrass coconut. For our monthly drops, I'd say we think less about that because we know, hey, it's going to our owned audience. We're sending it to our list. They are clearly sparkling water aficionados. So, for example, in January, we're selling a cherry key lime flavor. That one was entirely crowdsourced. Uh, yeah. Sent out a survey. I think we got 2,500 replies. Um, and cherry was the number one ingredient. And somewhere down the list was lime. And we thought, ah, key lime's a little more fun. Um, and actually, some one, a consumer, I, need to, I, I wish I remember their name, said, make me a, they said, make me, which I thought was so funny. Mm -hmm. um, make me a zero calorie Sonic cherry lime drink. So Sonic smart. sells this cherry lime yeah, drink. Yeah, so great. I love it. I hope that's what this tastes like. They can tell me in January. Oh my gosh. And then the the, the February is going to be hitting soon, which you just we just tasted on. Correct. Yeah, we made this yesterday. This is pineapple holy basil. I, I think pineapple was probably more like stats of, okay, people are really enjoying pineapple drinks. And it's I, my favorite spin drift. I mean, that pineapple. It's so great. It's yes. So good. So, so good. great. Um, and any, anything I've tried pineapple in this year, I thought, wow, that's like just a delightful, yeah. um, different experience, but you can still, it's still chuggable, which I think some odd fruits are not, they're more sippable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and we tried it with a number of things. I, I, I liked kind of the, the vague, sweet, er, herby note from the holy basil. And we were going to call it Tulsi, but I just thought holy basil is such a fun thing to put it's on the It's fun. Yeah. Both are great. Yep. Have you ever played with kimchi? 
Uh, it's so funny. I I got sent a kimchi spritz yesterday that I need to try. So I I will 100% try it. But I, I love kimchi. We should collaborate. We're putting on our book in, in April. Uh, shouts to Korea World. And, and you <laughs> <Yeah>. know what? <laughs> I feel like y- if anyone's going to put kimchi in a really cool sparkling water, it's going to be Ouroboros. Thank you. That is a very nice compliment. Yeah, I'll take man. it. All right. Where do you want to be in five years? I guess in five years, we'd love for people to say, Oh, my, my favorite sparkling water, my favorite premium sparkling water is Ouroboros. When you talk about craft, it's Ouroboros. That's not to say, I'll, I'll speak to beer drinkers for a second of, hey, plenty of people that drink Bud Light also drink Sierra Nevada. I hope when I ask them their favorite beer, the one they'd want on their birthday, they want Sierra Nevada. That's not to say they can't drink something else no. at the tailgate. Um, so I would love to occupy that same space in a consumer's mind. And obviously the category is growing and growing and growing. And we have juice-infused sparkling waters. We have CBD sparkling waters. We have sparkling waters that drink more like sodas. So it's getting to be a very large category, which is great. Mm-hmm. And I hope that's how consumers Probiotics. We haven't even Probiotics, talked about sparkling that. sparkling waters. Absolutely. Oh, so I, I, I don't want to create a functional drink. Um, I'd like to just be in that world of, oh, if, I, if I'm a creative person and I'm looking for a unique artisanal craft experience, Ouroboros is the one I'm grabbing. Yeah. So in five years, I hope you can find us at any retailer that you can currently find, say, San Pellegrino. Oh, man. That means like Walmart. That would be great. Yeah. yeah. Have you pitched them yet? Uh, we have. We have. How yeah. does that go? Like uh, when you go to like, I mean, because I've heard from a plenty of founders that Walmart's actually a great brand to work with as a small founder. It 100% is. Yeah. I think they were very fast on post ecom movement. Obviously, I can't remember what year it was when they bought Jet.com, but Walmart was one of the fast 18, movers. 18, 17, maybe yeah. even before that, 16. <laughs> yeah. That didn't work out so well. I think they knew, okay, there's something going on here where new products have a route to market around us. Yeah. We want to be a part of the conversation. So mm-hmm. in 2024, we'll be in about 600 Walmarts. Um, oh, shit. You're there already. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm, I'm feel ignorant. Cause I, I see <laughs> you at specialty, um, but where, how many, how many like actual stores are you, are you available in right now? Today we're in about 8,000 stores. Yeah. Um, I, I hope we'll probably end next year somewhere between 11 and 12. That's amazing. How big is your company? How many staff members? 13. Oh my Lord. You're doing well. I love to hear this. This is so cool. You put your phone number on every can. Yes. So how, do, and that's like your phone number, that like is. literally the phone you have in your pocket right now. Correct. Like how often does it ring? Uh, I bet I get 20 ish missed calls a day. Um, from consumers, though, probably only you know eight or nine. A lot of those are just random folks that have since, because the number's on the can, they now can sell us freight services or boxes, et cetera. That's the challenge, I would imagine. I know. Unfortunately, I've said this to too many people, and they now know, oh, I can just like text or call this number. Um, so eventually, someday, I'll change my number. But for right now, yes, it's on the can. Uh, but I bet I, I get one or two delightful conversations with a consumer seven days a week, um, which is really fun. So, I mean, this could be called like a stunt but the fact that you're like you know following through with the bit like years later yeah it seems like you know how do you like manage your life by being <laughs> like having a phone number in your pocket but i mean maybe not maybe that's like what you thrive on and it drives you I, I am a chaotic person in general so i was already kind of disheveled before this business <laughs> this, the, the business has just given me a good excuse to be disheveled um <laughs> so i i won't you know blame or for that i was already like this and now i just have more things to add to the chaos i love it paul and this is taste we ask guests about their discerning taste so to close this interview here's a little rapid fire fast and furious taste check are you ready i'm ready the best breakfast food bacon egg and cheese uh on a roll ideally oh my goodness the best dessert for me it's a uh chocolate lava cake okay let's go there why (laughs) you know i kind of think when you see chocolate lava cake on a menu chocolate lava cake had a moment in time yeah and it's now kind of it's it's almost um 
it's like playfully being in the past. Like you kind of yeah. know the moment has passed, but when you see it on a restaurant menu, whether you are at an Applebee's or the opposite end of the spectrum, you just have to order it. Yeah. I mean, there's a liquid molten lava inside of a salad. With a cake. lot of uh, of chocolate. With a lot of chocolate, with a, a generous scoop of vanilla ice cream on top. I don't know how you could make a better dessert. That's that's peak. Your favorite American fast food chain? in and out Okay. Um, has Ourobora been uh, pitched to fast food? We have or not. QSR. No, most of them have a pretty solid Coke or Pepsi contract. Right, um, right. We've talked to, I'd say, some of the fast, casual, healthy QSRs for sure. Yeah. And hopefully you can find us there in the next year. What about SG, Sweetgreen? What about it? What about it? We'll try our best. We'll yeah. try our best. Seems like it would fit perfectly with those guys because they like doing limited drops. You guys have playful brands. I, I, hope, I hope that's true. Let's get into grocery. Your favorite grocery store, we'll call it the National Chain Edition. So I grew up um, in the Northeast, but I actually didn't shop Wegmans because um, we. I grew up in Westchester County where we didn't have a Wegmans at the time. Um, I've since rediscovered Wegmans, and it's like the most delightful regional chain. Um, mm. may, if I had to throw out a similar one on the West Coast of call it 100-ish stores or 20-plus, um, New Seasons in the Pacific Northwest is a similar example where they have really strong private label, a really great hot bar, amazing samples, and it's like a big, open, delightful space. So Wegmans and New Seasons are my co-host. I love this call about Wegmans. I really don't talk about it enough. I want to get the founders on the show because it is truly my favorite regional in the Northeast. It's the greatest. Yeah. They they know how to sell products, yes. both their own products, and they're so good at introducing consumers to new products. Oh my God, that's the truth. And and they have the location now in the East Village, which is amazing. I can't I can't wait to see it. You I need to it. stop by. And it, I love their meat too. That's an aside, like the way they do chicken is just the way they butcher it is like kind of amazing okay Anyways. good all right your favorite grocery store we'll call it like quirky local edition so i won't say erewhon even though i'm, I'm positive that's a popular answer here <laughs> in the bay area i'm in love with buy right i think that's a pretty popular oh one God. luke's local is a similar quirky local chain um that both of them do a great job with making their own goods they have really intimate stores, which I kind of like. I like when you go to buy right, you bump into people. Yeah. And there's just kind of a, a funny idea of both of us leaving our jobs to try to get there at 5.30, mm -hmm. and then we're fighting over Manchego. Like, yeah. it kind of is a, a return to our, our caveman roots. <laughs> In a very tech San Francisco yes. way, I must say. <laughs> yes. um, your favorite cookbook of all time? This is not a fair answer, but my mom has this amazing her own cookbook of her own recipes and then everything she's taken from her mom and grandmother, et cetera. So it's only not a fair answer because it's on my phone now. Yeah. Finally, my eldest sister, Emily, scanned through Digitized every page. Digitized it, yeah. She did it. Um, Love it. Yeah. That's really cool. Great answer. I, I, I think that's perfect. Perfect answer. Do you have a recent cookbook discovery? Anything that's crossed your desk? Anything that you've see, seen online? I have loved cooking through, I probably cooked through half of it now, Molly Boz's mm -hmm. book. Um, I haven't tried the new one yet, but Cook This Book was so good. Yeah. Fun, inventive, um, I think not overly technical for those of us that are not excellent yeah. chefs. It's her new book's great. We published her here. That's a great call. I love that. Do you ever shop at Omnivore? In San Francisco, the indie book, cookbook store in... Uh, oh, yes. Yes. In, uh, it's in Noe. Yeah, right? it's in Noe, exactly. Yes. Noe Valley, um, yep. They are so good at recommendations. So good. There's a woman that works there that you just tell her the kind of thing you'd like to cook. And she, I, I imagine her kind of like Ollivander from it's Harry Potter. It's probably Celia, the owner. Probably right. Yeah, Celia is amazing. She's like an absolute legend in our industry. Oh, that's amazing. And okay, she, I didn't know that. It's a great store. Yeah, you could say I'm looking for a lemon tart. And she'd go, oh, page 11, this book, top left shelf. Love that so much. Your favorite beverage other than Ouroboros? I love chocolate milk. 
Okay, um, interesting choice. I think it's a really cool choice because there's so many bad versions of chocolate milk. There are. What makes chocolate milk great for you? I, I'd say two things. One, it needs to be very thick. Great. I, I think, you know, Yoohoo was fun as a kid, but that's just like a water-based beverage. Yeah. We're looking for whole milk. This isn't 2%. It has to be whole milk if you're drinking chocolate milk. Um, the second, I'm not looking for a Hershey syrup chocolatiness. I can make that myself. Uh, I'm also not looking for a mocha, like it might get in a coffee. Yeah. I'm kind of looking for like a candy bar, um, like a nice candy bar taste. Alexander Farms does like my favorite version in California. Um, they have, I think it's called A2 milk, but mm -hmm. they make a, a tiny one that you can find almost everywhere. And it's like the most tempting toss in the cart at the last second it's, grocery store purchase. It's, if it's even if it's six fifty, you're just going to do Done. it. Doesn't matter. We have Ronnie Brook Farm chocolate milk here okay. on the East Coast. I'm sure it's a similar thing. It's just amazing. They have a, a line of, of flavored milks and, and yogurts. So if you're in any, Murray's Cheese has a great selection of Ronnie Brook. Check it out. I okay. love Ronnie Brook. Great. So, I'm on it. So would you ever play around with chocolate milk as a skew for uh, Ourobora? <laughs> I mean, I say this because you're a water company, but man, you're like inventive. You're creative. That'd be fun. Yeah, I, I'm not opposed to it. Um, if I could find a way to ship milk uh, even cheaper than we ship water, that'd be the best. Last one, your favorite sandwich. My favorite sandwich. Um, I'm partial to buffalo chicken. A buffalo oh, chicken sandwich. I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's such a unique idea. I mean, I'm more of the wing guy, but man, buffalo on a, on a cutlet's pretty great. It's pretty great. Yeah. I, well, we also have a, a buffalo cauliflower sandwich in my neighborhood in the Outer Sunset in San Francisco. Uh, it's a place called Palm City Wines. It's the best. Oh, I love that. And shouts to Toyso, uh, Pocha out in the Outer Sunset. I'll go. We were talking off mic about that. I love that place. Paul Vogue, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining This Is Taste. Thanks for having me. This is great. Hey, Matt, how was your California road trip? Glad you asked, Eliza. You know, I've been planning this trip for a while. I went with my wife, Tamar, and my mom. So it's the three of us. Iconic road trip trio just right, right off the bat. Yeah. Totally. It was like, it was like really cool to like not be in New York in January and to like go to California and actually drive. We flew into LAX. We ended up well north of, of Napa and Sonoma, rounded back to SF, but we went along the way um, we obviously were, were were doing some seeing some ocean, seeing some sunshine, but we caught a bunch of cool, I would say some very iconic restaurants, some uh, newer restaurants, and I had a lot of surprises along the way. All kind of positive. I wish wish you could say that there was a bad meal. I mean, I think I had sushi in Mo in uh, in Monterey that was terrible, but that was like outside of that, it was like only one bad meal in the entire trip. Well, I'm excited to hear about it because I grew up doing the drive from LA to Northern California very often to see yeah. my family. So this is going to bring back a lot for me. Oh, I love this because I know I wanted to go this with you because I know like I'm doing a little bit of fresh eyes on it. But yeah, this is like your hometown, your homeland. I feel like you probably did you take the scenic like PCH the whole way up kind of? We did not. We We wanted to make some tracks. So we went the fastest route. You took the five. We took the five. That's the that's the locals route, I would say, because it's not as pretty. It actually no. smells quite bad at certain points in time because it's where a lot of cows are being yeah. raised in California. A lot of cows, man. But it is the faster route. See, 
as an Angelino, I was like, we can't talk about the road trip before we talk about your route because like, that <laughs> really is everything. It's such a good point because we definitely uh, didn't get lost, but we we ended up in like Petaluma one day, which is cool. I won't talk about that. We ended up um, out by Fort Bragg. Cool. Like, way, way on the coast. Yeah. I've been up there before because I've driven from LA all the way to like mid-Oregon. Oh, that's a beautiful drive. And we went to Mendocino, which, you know, I went to a cool Irish pub in Mendocino and watched NFL football. That was that memory. Okay, I have some questions for you, but maybe you should tell me about some of your highlights. Let's first. start. Well, we went to Ojai for a couple of days, and I was in Ventura, Ojai, in that area, and I, I just have been going to Ojai. I think it's like my fourth time there. I, I just love going to this town. Um, it's really special. It's just beautiful, and has a lot of like really unique, like hippy dippy shit that I enjoy in California. Feels like California, uh, an only in California kind of place. But I ended up going to um, a couple restaurants there that I really want to highlight. One is the Duchess. And I think we, you and I were texting, texting frantically about this this choice. Well, this is like uh, Zoe Nathan and, and her husband Josh is one of their restaurants, right? Absolutely. And it's their kind of extension north of L.A. And the chef is uh, Sanang, and it's a Burmese-California menu, which I think is really smart. And I had some crispy rice salads, and I, I really enjoyed um, really the way that uh, Burmese cuisine can be thought of as like a California-only concept. And, and really, the food was super fresh. And um, But the highlight to me, there's no but. I, I don't want to even come with the but. Semicolon, a highlight is, of course, the pastry in the morning. Zoe Nathan, legend, obviously. Yeah, she has Huckleberry uh, is like a great breakfast pastry spot. Milo and Olive, also they do pastries yeah. there. And then their ice cream uh, store, Sweet Rose, is quite good. Yeah, and and up there she was doing a citrus olive oil tea cake and a passion fruit chiffon slice. You know, I was going like citrus passion fruit zone. There was some nice morning buns up there. Did they have any pixies when you were there? It was actually a little early for Citrus. Um, it wasn't in the uh, in the stands quite yet. We were there the first week of January, and it was still a little early. I've been there in late February, and it's been, like, super awesome. So right. I think it was a little early. If you're a listener, Pixies are a kind of tiny tangerine that are grown a lot in Ojai, and they're a very big part of the town's identity. They have a festival every year, I would imagine. That's cool. Yeah, it was great. And you know, also in Ojai, so there's like a lot of restaurants there. And Rory's place was not open, unfortunately. They'd had a little fire and they were closed temporarily, um, wishing them the best. Um, but I got to go to this really cool place called The Summit that is like a roadside both taqueria and hamburger stand. Cool. That's about 20 minutes outside the the downtown of Ojai. And my good buddy, Daniel Holstman, um, knows Ojai really well and he had suggested it and Man, I loved uh, a rolled taco hamburger combination on a sunny afternoon. Just I'm, beautiful. I'm saving this to my map right now. So after Ojai, where did you go? So we went up to the Central Coast. So we we ended up driving. We were on the road. And we ended up in Los Alamos. And everyone who follows food media, listens to this podcast, reads glossy magazines knows when you go to Los Alamos, you go to a restaurant called Bell's. Yes. Okay. I, I've been. You've been. Okay. So super, super fucking hyped restaurant. Like everyone's like, you gotta go to Bell's, gotta go to Bell's. And I'm like, yeah, of course I'm gonna go to Bell's. It's like a great midway point driving up to Monterey and uh, Carmel. So I, we went and oh my God, it, I went for lunch and it exceeded expectations. It was so great in every way possible. And I think it really, really starts with the service. I have to say that. Yeah, they have like a fine dining background, yeah. right? And it is 
it's not quite a fine fine dining restaurant, but it is definitely like a nice restaurant. I remember I had a really good steak sandwich for lunch when I was there. We also had some incredible sandwiches, including egg salad with tomato jam. And um, we had this amazing, amazing salad too. Apples, currants, midnight moon blue, cheese and nutritional yeast dressing. Um, it's fine dining in the evening. It's a fixed menu and then a la carte for lunch. Mm. And I think it's a beautiful time to go at lunch. Um, if you drink wine, it's a, obviously you're right in that central coast. Um, and you know, we've been re- reading about this, this part of California. It's like two, two and a half hours north of LA and it's, it's worth a drive from LA and it's totally worth visiting. Yeah. It's really special. They have some nice, I stayed at like a cool old school motel that had been revamped when I was there. They also have this really incredible, like old, old West style tavern in the town yeah. that I think is closed now and they only open it for weddings, et cetera. But if you ever see a wedding and you could try to crash it, that would be on my bucket list. That's a really good idea, actually. Crashing a wedding. To crash a wedding. Yeah. I was out in Joshua Tree on a separate trip and I, I thought about crashing a wedding out there. I saw some weddings happening in the old uh, in the old town. Oh, yeah. Old. That, that's kind of how, that's kinda um, how it goes. Let me let me just like kind of go quickly through the rest of that central coast. Um, I ended up at this amazing bakery called Ad Astra in Monterey. Mm-hmm. Just truly doing California sourdough at the highest level. Really, really highly recommend it. Um, I also went to Cat and Cloud. Got to pay homage to my favorite uh, coffee podcast and and cafe in Santa Cruz. Hung out in Santa Cruz, which you know on a sunny day, no better place in California than Santa Cruz. Check out the surfers. Just beautiful place. You're shaking your head in a good way or bad way. I mean, I would say <laughs> I am from other parts of California. There are a lot of good places in California, but Santa Cruz is really special. You're shaking I, your head. You grew up in Santa Monica, so you got... <laughs> uh, I love, But I, I really do love Santa Cruz. Um, did you see any banana slugs when you were there? I didn't see the banana slugs. Yeah, we were just like rolled through. Uh-huh. Santa Cruz is cool. And then I ended up in Oakland and Berkeley and saw some old friends. And I went to... A couple places. The quick spots I want to mention, I went for this. I think if anyone was listening from Oakland, I think of this as, to me, the perfect Oakland one, too. Controversial it may be. Atani Ramen, my favorite ramen on the West Coast. It's so great. Kyle Atani is an old friend. And then Fenton's. Ooh, I have never been never to been either. Never been to Fenton's? I haven't been to either. Oh, my God. Fenton's is, uh, you, you know, raise your hand, listener, if you're a Fenton's fan. Uh, old school... Ice cream parlor oh, yeah. and and diner uh, in Oakland, uh, a real institution. Um, shout out to the O's and Kim's, Jason O, my buddy from college, went there with his fam, uh, and we had such a great time. And we just had the like the largest Sundays, and just like I love that place. I like that, and I think a good ice cream sundae. I'm trying to remember. Oh, I like uh, Colonial Donuts in Oakland. Yeah, I, that place is cool too. Yeah. I wonder. It's a 24 hour donut shop, so yeah, I wonder I if you know. could bring your donut to the ice cream place and do some combining. Well, I think you probably could. I'm gonna I'm gonna actually think about doing a mashup of Fenton's and Many Foods in Oakland. I think it's a really good spot. Uh huh. All right. So the next day was the day I had circled in my calendar for this whole trip, and. Shout out to Andy Barragani for getting this reservation. I got to go to Chez Panisse for lunch. Wow. Yeah. And I'd never been there. Me and, either. And I, um, again, like Bells, everyone knows about Chez Panisse, Alice Waters. Talk about it on the show a lot. We talk about David Leibowitz recently. He worked there for 12 years. And wow, a Saturday lunch on a rainy January day. It's there's nothing better in life. I felt like it was really, really beautiful lunch. And they were they were just wonderful people who owned it and, and ran it and I have to say from the the menu, um, I had a great ridiculous salad. It's really like straightforward food. It, it, they're not really doing anything 
like they're not throwing in like curries randomly. They did a little bit of um, I would say the Moroccan spice chicken was like in that kind of global pantry, but they're doing like California French cuisine, which is what they're famous for. And I just loved the petitioli cold plate, which had this like really great poached albacore, which um, it was super composed. It was a, a salad composé, and I just loved that. I had some Monterey Bay cod that was like delicately poached. Um, they served us some nice um, mint tea to end, had a sorbet. I mean, it was like really light and really perfect. I like that. I think to me, like I would want to go to Chez Panisse in the spring or summer if I was going to pick any season just because I know oh, that they're yeah. doing so much with the produce. But yeah. even in January, especially in California, it seems like they have a lot of good things to be working with. I mean, good point and a good reason to return. I will say one thing about the dining room, like very touristy, like dudes in kith, like just like kind of uh, kind of like definitely a destination. That's not a negative because obviously you want a place that does such high level that everyone's going there. And then you also look around and you've got, you know, a, we were walking in at the same time with this couple. They were clearly local and they said they were celebrating their 60th birthday. That was cool. There was a group of eight I would say around the same age in their 50s, they had had like eight bottles of wine on the table for lunch, just like having a great time. I wanted to know what they were up to. Like there was definitely an interesting mix of people. So it is touristy. There is going to, you're going to see like people with like the guidebooks on the table potentially, but ignore that. It's a really special place. Yeah. You were, you were among the tourists also. Absolutely. So. <laughs> of course. I'm owning my truth. I was absolutely there taking selfies with the the bowl of produce that was sitting on the, on the bar at the cafe. Yeah. As you should. And then you kept, you went north even more. We did. We kept the journey. Thank you for keeping listening to this because I, I had a, such a good time. I wanted to do an extended B segment about my trip to California. Ended up in Napa and Sonoma. Had never been there. Had never been to this part that's like historical when talking about American food. There's very few regions that that are are more important to the American foodways than Napa and Sonoma. Ad hoc was a spot that I went to that I don't want to say too much about because it, the menu changes all the time. But I would say this: um, I've never seen so many drunk people in a restaurant at nine o'clock on a Sunday in January in my life. A.M. <laughs> or P.M. P.M. But still, like <laughs> it was like supposed to be like a sleepy Sunday, like post holiday, dry January, all that shit, and like yo. People were hammered. Wow. And so the, the concept there, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about, okay, so ad hoc changes daily the menu, hence the name. Um, you could get everything from fried chicken to um, what we had was uh, Wagyu meatballs and spaghetti, an amazing Caesar salad. Truly was amazing, great Caesar salad. And, you know, lots of other things available for adding on. And then there was Sundays at the end. So that was nice. And donuts too. They were like little mini donuts too. So Cool. I mean, so like, listen. Mileage may vary with ad hoc and Thomas Keller restaurants with this listenership. I'll leave it there. I'm going to leave it there. Okay. I went to a place called Mustards, and I have to say this was probably my highlight um, of, uh, of, of dining in Napa, Sonoma. Um, and Cindy Paulson is the chef owner. Um, it's on its 41st year right now, and we here at Crown published at 10 Speed Press published the Mustard's Cookbook in the early 2000s. And I just love this restaurant so much. Um, it has things like seafood tostada, sweet corn tamales, like a ribeye. They have onion rings that are like blooming onion style. Mm -hmm. It's like all the things you want to pair with wine. And this list, it says at the top, too many wines. And you can order like a 
$300 cab or a $75 half bottle split of Hirsch Pinot Noir if you want, or you can get like a flight that's $35. So it's not like pretentious. And truly what, what I experienced in Sonoma and Napa was not, I didn't find pretentious places. I think that's maybe a little bit of a, a, a misread of the region. There's not a lot of, I mean, there are of course places that would be like wine centric, but I thought it was like definitely like accessible and kind of fun to be in this part of the uh, the world, the wine world. But um, I thought mustard was the real highlight. I love that. I haven't been, but, um, you know, I, I normally don't make my way through this part of California. So it's it's nice to have reasons to go. I went to Gott's Roadside as well. Mm-hmm. This place is pretty famous. They had I had a cold crab salad. I like that place a lot. And I'm going to end this trip. And thank you so much, Eliza, for helping me tell the story. Probably outside of, like mustard was special because I just like connected with the vibe and we have this history of the cookbook but probably my my pound for pound favorite meal of Sonoma and and Napa was El Molina Central which has been on my list for such a long time and I yeah. haven't been you can definitely go there um and go keep going north and go to wine or you can just go there for the food it is tremendous it is a really really good uh restaurant that I would say does a rotating menu of 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 California Mexican with a like a root in Mexico City in the taqueria style, but also a great mole, a great pozole, and a great beans. I would say the best beans I've had in uh, probably ever. Well, were they like uh, charro style beans? They or? were absolutely mm. Mm, so good. And like you know, order the counter, sit down, get the number to do the thing. Very yeah. chill. Sit out, sit outside. I love that. Okay, I have two follow-up questions yeah, for totally. you. The first is when you went to Fort Bragg, did you happen to go to Seapal Cove? I wish we spent a lot of time in Fort Bragg. We 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 just dipped through that. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me. We actually went further north, went to a couple places to not be fully, like went to Mendocino, we went to Petaluma. We went to all these wonderful towns. No, tell me about that place. It's just like a super local spot on the docks clam chowder place oh my god that sounds like really good it's really good and i fort bragg is like you know you're getting up into the state of california at that point like i went there because i was kept on driving into oregon and it felt like a very different part of california than where i had spent a lot of time it was very gray it was very coastal there were people who were just working all in the boats that were eating their clam chowder there and it was really fun what an amazing drive around there yeah so that's my one question my second one is if you went to um Casa de Fruta when you were driving up to five. Uh, no. Uh, what town is that in? This is on me because I should have told you about this. Yeah, you should have. Because this to me is like the growing up in California road trip experience is that you're driving up the five and you're hungry or like someone has to pee. And so you go to Casa de Fruta, which I have just looked up the exact town that it's in so I can tell everyone. And it's by Gilroy. Yeah. It's kind of between Hollister and Gilroy. Oh, it's up that. So it's a little bit further east. It's further east. I think like when I was driving to visit my family in San Jose area growing up, we would stop there a lot. But they sell all sorts of dried fruits and nuts. They have a full restaurant. They have a like small train that runs through the premises and all like a petting zoo and all these things to like attract children. They also have an offshoot called Casa de Nuts that I just think is really funny because they <laughs> gotta dro- get the t-shirt. They dropped the the Spanish halfway through on that I one. <laughs> um, but it is just such a like iconic, like particular part of California to me. So the next time you're doing this drive, before you go to Gilroy to get your garlic, garlic yeah. go to Casa de Fruta. Casa de Fruta is on the list now. Have you been to Sea Ranch ever? No, I know about Sea Ranch, but I have never yeah. been there before. That's probably my next trip to that part of California would be staying in Sea Ranch. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll meet you Just, there and then we can go to Casa de Fruta. Let's do it. I, I, I appreciate uh, getting a real Californian's uh, take on my 
on my my trip. Did I do do I did I do okay? Did I represent your state well? I think you did a great job, and I wish that I could go do that right now. Thanks, Eliza. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. This is Taste is hosted by Eliza Abarbanel and me, Matt Rodbar. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things that are happening. 